0: The best time to look for a job is when you're not looking for a job and you don't want to see that perfect role open and you, you know, haven't updated your resume in months or like years, maybe even.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks for joining again today. We're here with Jennifer Bangura, who I've had the great pleasure of getting to know online, but this is the first time we get to talk and really have a great conversation about her career. But. It's always better to hear it directly from the guests. So, Jennifer, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: So thanks for having me, Dave. My name is Jennifer Bongora, and I currently have two different roles. I work for Nextford University as their director of career innovation, and I'm also a consultant for the Future of Learning Fund, which is the first thematic fund of Future Africa, a venture capital fund that's in turning Africa's biggest challenges into global business opportunities. And So that's what I do, but who I am, like I do, I had this in my LinkedIn profile and I feel like what really gets me excited is finding small world connections. So wherever I am, that's kind of at the core of, of what I'm doing and whether it's work or personal. And I also get really excited about the role of careers to help build socioeconomic mobility for people and their families. So that's a little bit about me professionally. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you for that. I'm excited to dive into all those topics. So we'd like to kick the show off with the same question every time, which is when in your life did you really start to think about your career? And, and it could be as just like a childhood interest, but you're like, I could really see myself doing this and I'm going to start to take action that you know, result in me growing towards that. When, when would you say that was and can you talk us through a little bit?
0: So in 2008, I moved to Mali in West Africa and joined. Um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer and I moved there as an environment volunteer. I'd, vol- I'd in college worked with a community garden and so I had some gardening experience and I'd also, I was an art history and French major in undergrad. So I, and I would focused my senior thesis on a Malian photographer, Malik Sidibe, And so it really felt like the stars aligning of, okay, I'm moving to this country that I've been studying for the past year, and I'm going to pursue this career in museum studies and African art. And so I lived in Mali for two years, and I was in a village about nine hours north of the capital. And I I would say still, I mean, a career still felt abstract, and certainly living in a village for a couple of years, I thought, okay, I, I need, if I'm going to pursue this career in African studies um, and art history. I want to live in the capital where there's so much happening. When I moved to Bamako, that I started to actually think critically about my career and made this pivot. And and you you know said making like concerted steps and in, in in this direction. And I shifted into education. So I was working on a, a USAID education project for primary teachers focused on uh, using radio to help train teachers on um, best practices in pedagogy and i hadn't didn't have experience in that space directly except i was i was working on the communication side and i just fell in love with wow the power of you know extending quality access to quality education and finding ways to do it at scale in in pretty difficult settings where you you know you have a country that's twice the size of texas and over half of it is the Sahel, the Sahara desert. So how do you, you know, how do you train people in that setting? So I just became fascinated by the ways that we, and this is back in 2010. So it was you know, a long time ago of, before online education became what it is today for sure. And so then my, my career is just kind of as followed from there of thinking whether it's primary education, now I work in the higher education space and workforce development. But how are people accessing, whether it's quality education or quality career services and career development in ways that are truly accessible and not necessarily the traditional face-to-face uh, modalities?
1: Awesome. Well, all right. So now you get this exposure mm-hmm. and sort of a little more clarity on what it is that you're excited about having explored a bunch through through school. Mm-hmm. So what did that first job look like when you started to, you know, you're, you're starting to get that clarity. What what was involved in that when you actually then started to, had to make it kind of real?
0: Well, so what happened is I moved to Bamako thinking, um, I'll be here for a year. That was what my contract was. And then shortly thereafter, and at that time, I still was thinking, I, you know, I moved to the capital thinking I'm going to pursue this one career path. And then um, I met my husband and simultaneously fell in love with, like pursuing a path in education. And so I did my Master of Arts in International Education. So I went on campus for, to SIT Graduate Institute in Vermont for two weeks and moved back to Mali to finish the program. There was a coup d'etat in 2012, right after I moved back. And so I was evacuated back to the US. And, and within weeks, I had to pivot from, okay, I had a pretty stable communications role with this USAID contract to, I need to find a job quickly and my fiance and I are moving to the United States for the first time together. And so I, my first like quote unquote real job was not related to education really at all. Um, I was working for an environmental think tank, World Resources Institute. And I think this is where I fell in love initially of like, oh, this is how people find jobs i had never searched for a job linkedin was new i looked back when i was talking with some folks a few months ago and when i moved back to the united states in 2012 i had four connections on linkedin and one of them was this guy i had done peace corps with and he worked at the company that i uh, had seen a job opening at and i emailed him i said hey are you do you know about this job opening he said oh i don't know about that one but my job is going to go on line shortly because I'm, I'm quitting. I just put in my notice last week and you should interview for it. So, and then I spent three years in that job and it was an, it was with a GIS project in West and central Africa. And they were like, do you speak French? And I said, yes. And so they said, great. We can teach you all the other stuff. Well, you can figure out, we'll, you know, we'll figure out the rest (laughs) once you start. So that was my first uh, real job.
1: Well, question, why did you speak French?
0: Well, I'd been studying French since the seventh grade. I majored in it in art history and French in undergrad. And, you know, like why French? My mom was a French and Spanish teacher for a few years when she started her career and my brother studied Spanish. And so, of course, I wanted to do the opposite and studied French. And language has, has been like the thread throughout my entire career, whether I've used it in my job or not. I mean, in that first job, I absolutely did. And for the first few jobs, it was a reason that I got the role, in fact. And I just, yeah, I fell in love with, you know, being able to communicate with people in a different, and yeah, and learn about culture through language.
1: That's very cool. Because one of the things I try to pinpoint in these conversations are these sort of career assets that we have. And I don't think we think about our skills in these ways. You know, people say, hey, learn a language, it might be useful. But I always love to see where, Mm -hmm. when some of these things actually come to fruition, and that, Yes. because of this language, which you know, we always see people put languages on their resumes. But here's a very direct example, of right. they were actually like less concerned with right. your hard skills. Obviously, you were in a category of work where you you know, people knew what you did, but, but the language was kind of the differentiator for you.
0: It was and I remember feeling like at the time, like when I moved back, honestly, that's how I did my job search, I would just put French in the job, the keyword, like what other skill do I have? (laughs) I've been planting trees and working on urine fertilizer projects for the past two years. When I moved to Mali, the reason uh, they they often send people who have at least some French language experience to Mali, it is a Francophone country. But when, when I got there, I learned another language called Bambara, but I, and I thought there's no way, I spent 12 years studying French and I only have just become fluent. not going to be able to learn another language in two years but the the language training through peace corps is just so stellar and they do such a great job that within six months i was i mean not fluent but like certainly heavy conversational and it and part of my jobs in the you know five years after peace corps was all reviewing resumes and hiring consultants and hiring staff in our field offices or even in dc yeah, you always see language and people put like proficient, professional. And then you get them on the phone and they're like, they're like, yeah, I mean, I took a couple of classes in college.
1: <laughs> now you're getting your first real work experience, let's call it. What were you developing? What were you figuring about, figuring out about yourself with that transition from more of like that arts education into this sort of newish path to your career?
0: Well, that job at World Resources Institute taught me the value of. The, the the real value of relationships. I had a fabulous boss who had also done Peace Corps and he'd lived in Central Africa. And, and we were working across certainly time zones, cultures, uh, you know, the US, West Africa, Central Africa, different you know, over seven countries. And just observing the nuance that he had in and how he approached conversations and how thoughtful he was with. Even like, this is a small example, but I still remember it is, you know, the way that Americans will often use idioms in, when in, in conversation, like, oh, um, you're going to be a, and I'm, the, I'm not a baseball person, but like a pinch, is that a pinch hitter? Oh, yeah. can you be our pinch hitter? Mm-hmm. So these, these casual things that if you have never worked with somebody from another country, I mean, and I'm American and I don't even you know know this baseball expression, <laughs> like, just being a cognizant that like that's not something that everybody that's not a phrase that everyone knows or uses, and so I've just carried that through in my career, and I think it helps me to be a better communicator, no matter if I'm from the same culture as someone. And then two, it was a job that uh, I was a project coordinator, so it was anything from booking travel for my boss to you know yeah reviewing resumes and hiring consultants to managing our budget and. I saw the importance of like inter interdepart- like inter intra, interdepartmental relationships and building them before you needed them. So you always have some curmudgeon somewhere in your office, right? And but for me, I thrive on like commute on building friendships with people and building relationships. And so before I would need that person in finance department or in contracts to help me with something that came up last minute, like it always does, you know, I already knew I already had built that relationship with them. And so they be like, okay, well, I'm going to help you out this time. Cause yes, like you're my person and I'm your person. And so I just saw that play out time and time again. And I would observe other people who would, you know, go in in a huff and be like, I need this right now. And, you know, you've got to give this thing to me or whatever it was and how unsuccessful or at least, you know, even being demanding on people without having put in the currency and built, built the currency, I suppose, in the relationship.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I think people take a very, I think it's what it's one of the challenges people have with networking is mm-hmm. they don't see it as an investment. They see it as a like short term transaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's, that's part of these career investments, even just like learning a language. We'll take it back to what we talked about already. Is taking a longer term view towards your career, even though you may not know the exact like output you're gonna get, right? It's like eating healthy. It's like I know mm-hmm. it's like the right thing to do for my life. Like, am I gonna feel better tomorrow? Maybe not in a month. Maybe, you know, long term, absolutely. It's so already I'm kind of like picking up on your ability to like invest in your career. Maybe you weren't thinking about it that way at the time. Now you sort of understand it in retrospect. But I think that's a really valuable. Tip for people to take away from this? I mean, now that you've helped people with their career and you know, say so you have much more yeah. like in tune relationship with it, like, how, how would you think about that now? These kind of longer term investments in your career, like relationships and soft skills and things like that.
0: Well, what I would, the advice I would give to myself, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately because it's, it's just incredible to, at any stage for people to look back and think, yeah, how did I get where I am today? And, you know, with, we just had an international move and it's been a big transition for our family. So there's been a lot of that reflecting. And I would say to somebody or like the advice around the soft skills of the networking of it is to like delight in your surroundings, (laughs) like, like, don't just keep your head down in your work, but keep. Pick your head up every now and again and actually you know, think, get to know your colleagues and don't treat things tr- like as a transaction and soak up. And I saw that, you you know, you tweeted about this, like this curiosity coming out in so many of these conversations. So I don't want to be, you know, just, you know, add another one to your mix. but. I was in Peace Corps. I went back, I was doing my master's and with Peace Corps, you can do a third year. I I did a Peace Corps response. So I ended up saying four years total, which is not the normal um, time. And by the end I thought, you know, I really want to work in international education. Like that's my um, North star. And then when I moved back to the U S in a really pretty abrupt manner or abrupt, yeah, abruptly, I, I, I felt disappointed. Like, Oh man, I'm not doing what I, you know, I started this master's and I, wasn't able to find a job in education, and oh, this feels like a setback. And then you look back now and you're like, oh man, it's okay. Take a deep breath. It's okay. <laughs> but to find ways, so I was working in, and nothing related to education. But I was able, I, and I always had wanted to work once I learned about them at IREX, I-R-E-X, which is an international development agent and nonprofit. And so I stayed, I followed them on social media and they administer the state department program called the Young African Leaders Initiative. And so I was following that and you can, you know, I was volunteering to review applications for it. So keeping my toes in the water, like here's my non-use of idioms, staying connected in small and volunteer ways to international education. And ultimately, they put out a request of, oh, we need organizations to host these fellows who are coming from Africa throughout the continent to the U.S. for six weeks for fellowships. We want them in Washington, D.C. and everywhere in the U.S. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Let's host them here at our office in D.C. I, we did. And so since our project was focused on Central, and, uh, Central Africa, someone from Central Africa came to the U.S., spent did a fellowship here. And then they also arranged to do fellowships when people returned back to their home country. From that, I connected with this woman who worked at IREX. And then three years after I had started this job, she ultimately passed on my resume for the role that I got that propelled me in back or into for the first time, formally, you know, in international education and workforce development. And I just would never have I couldn't have anticipated that. Like, how can you know that this one job opening is going to come up, that this person's going to have, you know, no, I emailed her when I saw this job opening. I said, oh, do you know this person who's hiring? She's like, oh, she sits to me in my cubicle. So yeah, like, yes, (laughs) I can pass on right now your resume. So, um, and that was just because I was excited about the initiative and had, you know, I had those targeted companies that I kept an eye on in different ways. And even though I was not working in what I had hoped to be, I was still fi- able to find ways to be connected to, to what I was really passionate about.
1: All right. So you you've had these experiences, you've made these connections, you took this job. What was that next kind of like big moment for you in your career? We talk a lot about you know experience, like we 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 stop learning or something external happens. But what was that next moment in your career where kind of had to pause, think, and take action.
0: So I transitioned to this role. It was like, it was a dream role. It was another job where I needed, they needed someone who was fluent in French career center programs in Morocco and Iraq, where we were helping uh, start up and expand career centers at public universities in both countries, at all of their public universities. So, and in Morocco, they speak Arabic and French, so they needed the, the French speaker. Anyways, I was in this job. It was amazing. I loved it. And I you know, I shared this with you, but I had already had one child. So I had a a young daughter at this point. And for me, my, my career has been shaped by like abrupt moments. There was this coup d'etat, moved back to the U S started a job, had a child moved. And then I, the next moment where I was like, this is a big pivot was in 2017. I started feeling this itch of like, okay, how do I move into a technical path. And, you know, I've been working in it, like largely in administration, not administration, but administrative roles. And I w- had fallen in love with this workforce development side and the power, as I know you share, because you built your com- company around this, of like building career community for people. And the, what I had seen the path that people had taken was they worked in university career centers. So I started looking uh, for jobs that I wasn't getting interviews though. And then I found out I was pregnant um, again. And so then I put my job search on halt and I really and I said this to you, like, I don't feel like we hear enough about this. I was young. I I wasn't I don't think I was 30 yet. No, I definitely wasn't. I was not in a high level of like I see sometimes on LinkedIn. Women are like, oh, I'm interviewed at eight months pregnant and got hired. And then I took my six month leave. But for me, I was the benefits holder of our family at the time. Um, I was like, I have to be stay in this job now for another, at least year, because I need FMLA. I want to at least have access to my benefits and unpaid leave that I had for my first child. So I stopped my job search and felt really, again, like deflated and disappointed because I felt like I'm not, I, I know you say, people say you always have a choice, but I really felt like I did not have an option to pursue a job search. So a month or so went by and then I had a miscarriage and it was like this shaking moment of, wow, okay, you, you have, you were, you were unhappy right now in what you're doing and you have to find something otherwise you do. And I, we did want to have another child. So it was like, I needed to find something quickly. Otherwise, how long is this going to drag on? And I'm going to stay in a role where I'm not feeling like I'm growing. And I, so I like can just distinctly remember I went online and I found this this job opening It was a career services specialist. I was at 2U. I had been following them on Twitter, and I applied that night, and then like on Monday, I had an you know email from the recruiter. you within a week, I'd had my first interview, and then by three weeks, I had signed an offer. And it was just like, oh wow, this, is, this feels great. I, you know I, didn't, I hadn't, didn't network in. I didn't know anybody who worked there. It's the only job that I've had thus far where. That worked out that way. So yeah, that's absolutely the like next pivotal moment in my career journey.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah, I think there are it's this combination of the sort of things we put out into the world, what the world gives back to us, and then kind of how we navigate it. And that's yeah, impressive, you know, to be sort of you know, presented with situations like that and, and navigating then. It feels like you. You were ready, right? Like, I feel like you like, set some intentions, and even mm-hmm. with obstacles, ended up landing in a situation that you, you were pretty excited about.
0: And I think back, and you know, I like, I wish maybe someone's creating this version, but you know, you look at someone's LinkedIn profile and, like, oh, you went from this job to that job. And like, it all looks so logical. And when you look at somebody's career profile, and yet I remember, you know, from February of that year, I had connected with my career coach from my master's. And the time that she like invested in me and helping me review my resume, get it ready. And so when that, I saw that opening in July, I had already spent hours tweaking my materials so that it, and I, you know, I always say this when I'm working with students is you, know, the, the best time to look for a job is when you're not looking for a job and you don't want to see that perfect role open and you you know, haven't updated your resume in months. And I know you, or like years, maybe even you preach this all the time with <laughs> everyone at Teal, but um, it felt good to feel like okay, I don't actually have to wait to apply and and spend time updating everything because it's already ready to go.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah and it's a tricky thing because yeah, there, there's some complex things in in the career there, right? Because we're we're kind of wired to be loyal, and mm-hmm. there's something icky about job searching while you're employed, mm-hmm. but. This kind of preventative career care mm-hmm. is it's just healthy, you know, like very much like preventative health. It's it's the right thing to do. There's nothing wrong with it yet, you know, you're not gonna get potential, you're not gonna get in trouble for taking vitamins. Mm-hmm. If you know your boss walks by your computer and sees you editing your resume. Well, that could be problematic. So it's it's super complicated. It's a complex emotion to engage in these proactive, Mm -hmm. I'll call them selfish activities, Mm -hmm. even though obviously this word selfish has very negative connotation, but I would say breathing is selfish, right? It's it's these activities that you need to do to look out for yourself and your family, but Mm -hmm. can do have an inherent risk, just kind of given the nature of work. So what was that? I mean- how were you able to do that? Like how did you go about that? And also, you know kind of through the lens of helping job seekers, you bring mm-hmm. that extra layer in the conversation. like what do you what do you tell to people that are in those situations?
0: Well, definitely do your job seeking on your own times. I mean, this time, too, I was working full time in an office. so it there was a nice there was a, a much clearer separation of my time. And so I was able to, like, I can remember it was like two in the morning. I'm working on my resume before I'm submitting it. So that, at that time was easier. But I also recommend, again, it comes back to to relationships for me, because ultimately I left my, the job on great terms with, with everybody. And I had really spent a lot of time building relationships and leaving on a, a, like a positive, positive foot, which felt good. And I remember telling my boss that I was, when I was leaving and it was, she was kind of shocked. of like, "What? I can't believe you're going. And then I, and this is of course, anybody, you know, to anyone's discretion of what they want to share and nobody has to share anything they don't want to about their personal lives. But I felt like I owed it to her of, you know, I actually had a lot more personal reasons behind this move. You know, I wanted to move for my own professional reasons and building my own expertise in this career development space. But I'd also had this, you know, shaking, you know, this, personal, you know, my miscarriage that made me reflect and redirect what I was doing in my career. And I feel like I think about that a lot now of all of these things that are happening behind people's computers. And of course, if you're remote, like not seeing people on a daily basis that we just don't know about that people are going through, that has such an incredible impact on people's careers. And we just don't even see that side of it. So Stay human was also, I guess, a piece of advice. (laughs) You can be human in the workplace.
1: It's great advice. I also think, I think it pairs nicely with your advice that you gave earlier is don't wait to be human. Like, don't just be human in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think if it's like, if you just drop that, it's like, oh, hey, look at all these things, like in the moment. Well, okay, sure. But if you actually reveal more parts of yourself and who you are and share that because some people are quite guarded in the workplace mm-hmm. but you know you don't have to spill everything you know but I think building that personal relationship in the context of work is also a good thing because then you can have those more human discussions you know over time
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yep.
1: so so you make that move you land at at two you which I think became a big part of your kind of online identity, helping a ton of people. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, so one, the headquarters was only fifteen minute drive reverse reverse commute from in Maryland, which was amazing after, you know, having an almost hour long commute into the city, into D so I remember going in and like the, it was, I was like, oh man, I'm working for a tech, I'm working for a tech company now. And yeah, I had imagined before my career, like, okay, I'm going, to, I'll be working in nonprofits for the rest of my life. And that would have been, that would have been something. And lots of people do that. And that's great but it really felt like, wow, I never imagined this for myself. Like you have this narrow vision again of these steps or chapters for your career. So I had had my mind, I'm going to work in international education. I'll be working for nonprofits. That's what a lot of Peace Corps volunteers do after. And so that's the path that I had seen. And then even thinking for my transition, I thought, okay, now how do I become someone who's a technical expert in career development and workforce development? And well, they work at university career centers, like what other option is there? And so stumbling pretty much felt like onto you. and it was just like, oh my gosh, my eyes are opened to this entire, it's a, it's a publicly traded company. It's at this intersection of higher education and online education and being, getting to be on the career services side of it, where instead of working narrowly in, you know, maybe a business school career services office, I was working across Our physician assistants, data science, social work, nurse practitioners, teachers, and getting a feel and flavor for people who are making really significant career pivots at times and others, you know, more natural people going from being an RN to a, you know, FNP or family nurse practitioner. So it just felt thrilling every day, honestly, to get to be part of other people's career journey. And I felt this click of, wow, this was worth the weight of. And everything that ha- has come before it just was like, this was, I am building on these skills that I, from these different careers and, or different jobs, and it's culminating. And I felt like, you know, it's just that it all came of, was valuable. And I also loved my, the thing that was remarkable to me were were my colleagues and having just this incredibly diverse group of colleagues, and what I mean there is that I, you know, someone on my team was previously a pastor, and then now he had transitioned into career services. Another person was had worked in organizational development for a bank. Someone else had come from a university career center. Someone else was working in data science before. So to see people and what brought them to Two U and how Two U valued their different skill sets was really exciting to me.
1: Yeah, a great company with like really, you know, done a lot of incredible things. And so, you know, I think your career, I think a lot of careers are affected by this, but I, I love that you're sort of sharing the, um, I'll call them the pressures between mm-hmm. personal and professional. And, you know, we like to make these clear delineations of work life balance. I don't, believe in that because our brains don't do that. Right. And our mood at home affects our mood at work, our mood at work affects our mood at home. And, you know, and like where we want to go in life, there's physical places. And sometimes those have job constraints or not. And I Mm -hmm. feel like you've done a really elegant job of managing the balances of those two. And so, so to get to where what you're doing now, you've just made this big move to the other side of the planet um, that you had familiarity with, which is amazing. But talk us through that and and kind of what were what was like the impetus for the move and and what has been the impact on your career and how have you navigated it?
0: So something I think we also don't hear much about and, and I'm this isn't a challenge, Dave, but it is a question because I'm curious how Teal is addressing this. But so often career advice is focused on the individual like what do you want to do what do you like what is your what are your passions what are your interests when that you like it's very individualistic and maybe that's an american thing too but we everybody has something outside of themselves that influences their career and really deep, like it's very rare that people are just on their own completely floating around whether it's a spouse or children or parents or pets i mean anything that impacts how they can navigate their career. So my husband and I, we, we live, I share that just because for me, like my career has absolutely been intertwined with my husband's from, need, you know, when I was first starting to needing to have a job where I had benefits because I was the only one that had a job with benefits to then we had set this goal for our family to move back to West Africa, my, where my husband's from. And so that had always been in our mind when we moved back to the, when we moved to the US is like, well, we want to be here for a time, build our, you know, build a, our family here and then move back so we can be closer to my husband's family and, you know, have our children experience life closer to where he grew up. And I remember at, to you, like our, my boss's boss asking, and, you know, this is such a powerful like it made, it made me feel, I still remember, you know, it made me feel so special, like making time. He said, "Okay, oh, what would make you leave the company? And I said, honestly, the only thing right now is that we want ultimately to move back to West Africa. So I would want to be able, I would need and want to be able to work remotely. And if I couldn't, then that would, you know, mean that I left the company. And that was, I mean, that maybe happened. That conversation was probably in 2019, maybe. And it now it feels, I wouldn't say prophetic, but like <laughs> ultimately that's what happened. So we, uh, an opportunity came up at my husband's company and he, we overshot instead of West Africa, you know, farther East. Um, and so I tried my hardest to make a case for working remotely, which I know the irony is too, that it's, I was working in online education, but it just was not possible at the time. And I don't think, I don't think it is now either with that company. But so I had to, had to quit. And it was absolutely like terrifying and scary because (laughs) I was in a job I loved. And of course, there's always things that you, you know, probably there's always something that could be better, but ultimately, like I really was enjoying what I was doing, but I also knew, you know, we had set this goal for our family to move back. And it was absolutely, you know, an opportunity that we couldn't turn down. So that's what made me leave.
1: Yeah. I would, you know, to answer your question a little bit, I mean, I think it's It's around values alignment at the end of the day, because I think we do, yeah, very much believe in like the airplane metaphor that you got to put the mask on yourself first before you put it on the child. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you were looking out for you, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing wrong with that. I also think like we have a semantic issue and that, that just like those words sound like a negative, like Mm -hmm. selfish. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, but as a species, it's what we're engineered to do to survive, Mm -hmm. So like, mm-hmm. it's actually what you're supposed to do. And it, and it can make me feel good to help others. Uh, and if I feel good, then I can help others even more. And I think that becomes a virtuous cycle. And I think a lot of times we, we sort of like fall into this like space of martyrdom, you know, that I think then actually results in like the vicious cycle because we don't get filled up because we're just putting out, putting out, putting out. And we're not tending to ourselves first. And so the, the way I would think about it is like, being clear on what my values are, right? Mm-hmm. And like value, family, and family fulfillment is an important value to you.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you prioritize prioritize that. There's other mm-hmm. people who, for like it, that, just may not be as high on the priority then for them for value and
0: mm-hmm.
1: career growth and money or or who knows what. I say, hey, look, we can't move because the biggest financial opportunity is for me to be here. And so we I, I, at least the way we would talk about it and the way I would talk about it is around like values alignment. Mm-hmm. And the closer you can get to alignment with your values, the more fulfilled you'll be in your career, the happier you'll be. So that, that's kind of how we think about it, even though it does kind of align with the like, what do you want to do? It's mm-hmm. actually like being really honest with yourself about what really matters to you.
0: I love that. So I think, too, about, you know, before there were all these online webinars that you could attend, I was just hungry. Like something I've done throughout my career is like a brown bag lunch session or a, you know, someone's coming to speak or there's a panel, you know, for during lunchtime or after soon after work, I would just I would soak them up like the board. I remember at World Resources Institute, we had this session and it was a I think it was during Women's History Month. And so it was all the female board of directors came and people are asking questions. How do I balance being a mother? And this, You know, all this, this, the questions that are just repeated ad nauseum. And this one woman was a, he was a former Senator's wife and she was just like unapologetic in how she pursued her career. She was a lawyer for something, and she's like, I don't let anybody make me feel guilty about things that I don't want to feel guilty about, like, nobody can control what I, if I feel guilty. And I remember, wow, that's powerful. And then also she's like, the best decision that you can make is, you know, if you choose to have a partner is to choose your partner well. And you hear, you hear that time and time again from people as well. Um, So those are things that I reflect on.
1: hundred percent. And I think with the career, the more clear, like the, the folks that I see have that higher level of fulfillment in their career is they've, they've got that clarity -hmm. And they feel no guilt about it because they're more excited about what they're running towards than what they're running away from. But and I feel like you're doing these things, right? I feel like you're you're iterating on it. You're super clear on what's valuable, Mm -hmm. and you're making moves for you and kind of your collective that Mm -hmm. help everyone, right? That's also you know one of I would say family slash team like your your team, your core team. Mm -hmm i.e. your family is high on your values and you guys as a collective are making the decisions that benefit the collective, which is incredible. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for sharing your career story. So many cool things to learn. You've, you know, in kind of the extremes of moving across the country, but I'd say like in the abstract situations that a lot of people face, I think a lot of people can relate to the decisions you've made for, you know, why you moved, where you moved. Also just like you're pivoting from what, What I hope a lot of people take from this is that shift you made into tech from, you know, being in the sort of philanthropic work and transferring those skills into a tech company, which then took your career in like a totally different direction. I think that's super impressive. And thank you for sharing that.
0: Yes. May I share one small anecdote again? I have another thing that like, I think I told you this, the theme being like, okay, stay curious, but also like keep listening because I distinctly remember the webinar you hosted. I think it was it was November 2020 with Jeff Busgang. Is that right? Busgang. Pardon my apologies. No problem. And it was around how to land a job in a startup, and he was going like 101 of like what startups are, what the venture capital space is like, and I remember attending and thinking, okay, like I've just been learning about this venture capital space through working at Two U and hearing about you know. Uh, GSV and all these different this in this whole new world of investments in education that I just in my mind was solely relegated to Wall Street and uh, business and financial and I had never thought about like the way that investments happen in education and so after that webinar thinking okay like I went on this you know Twitter following spree of people in venture capital and then at that time not knowing that I was about to be, I was about to embark on my own really big career transition and ultimately landed working now I work you know part-time for a venture capital like a VC firm and for a startup, one of their portfolio companies. and it's like each of these pieces I could never have like pulled apart and it's not that, Maybe if you pull one straw out that nothing would have happened, like I think something would have happened for sure, hopefully. But I just now looking back again, can just see so clearly how they all interconnected. And I always say to people who are in their job search and feeling like, oh, I'm slogging through this and nothing's happening. Like you're collecting puzzle pieces for a puzzle that you don't know what is at the end. So like keep collecting your, (laughs) keep collecting the puzzle pieces um, and see what comes out.
1: Oh, I love that as a metaphor. Cause I think motivation is the biggest inhibitor of like a successful job. I love, love that metaphor. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you for sharing your career with us. How can folks follow along with all the great content you put out there? I feel like every time I see one of your posts on LinkedIn, I smile. What, mm-hmm. What's the best way to follow along?
0: LinkedIn's great. That's where I'm most active. Twitter less so, but I'm there. And I'll share those links with you. But yeah, absolutely. Let's connect or follow on LinkedIn and um, always happy to make new, make new friends.
1: Awesome. We'll put the links in the show notes wherever you're listening or watching the podcast. But Jennifer, thank you so, so much. And I'm excited for the next time we chat.
0: Likewise. Thanks, Steve.
1: And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's Teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at Teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us and please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.